Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Amen. Always good to worship. Really fun to get to jump on the drums behind my brother Paul here this morning. Um, And I love the truths that we were singing this morning. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And you guys, that's especially meaningful for me today, uh, as I'm going to share a little bit of a testimony later on. Those words are so true. Christ is our solid rock upon which we can stand. And I stand here today because of that truth. So today we are wrapping up our Proverbs series. We've been in the series all summer. Who's been tracking with us this summer in Proverbs? Yeah? Has it been good for you? Uh, It's been really good for me. I hope you guys have made some headway with really trying to start out your day just in wisdom and in truth. uh, As we've made a challenge this summer to wake up wise and to put our cell phones aside, but to open up the word of God. And so today we're going to close out our Proverbs with a sermon that I've titled, The Deadly Snare of the Fear of Man. The Deadly Snare of the Fear of Man. We've covered many topics over the last few weeks with the central theme that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, right? We talked about how this plays out in all sorts of scenarios in our life, in our marriages, in our relationships, in the workplace, at school. And hopefully, as you've listened to these Proverbs over the summer, you've also been able to put some of this to practice. Well, our home base in the scripture this morning will be one short verse in Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 25. And I believe that this verse has the power to unlock deep, meaningful life in Christ for every one of us. So we're going to read this together in just a moment, but before we do, a couple of caveats. The word fear, uh, you're going to hear me talk about this several times this morning, and there's two types of fear mentioned here. The Hebrew language uh, mentions fear in two different ways. The word fear that we're referencing in today's passage, 29-25, the fear of man, has to do with trembling and a fear that leads to anxiety, okay? You'll hear another fear mentioned. I mentioned it already, the fear of God. And this word for fear is more like a reverence, a respect. It also means trembling, but it's from a different place, a non-anxious fear, if you will. So let's read this short proverb and see what we can glean from it. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There's another translation that says it like this. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. So fear and protection. One type of fear, right? The fear of man. And one type of protection. Trust in the Lord. 
Now, some of you may have already checked out and you went, fear of man, I don't struggle with that. That's not me. I really don't even know what you're talking about. And I want to say to you this morning, if that's you, would you just lean in with me a little bit? And maybe open your ears just a little bit wider this morning to hear the truth. Because I believe that every person in this room has struggled with fear of man to one degree or another. And will probably continue to do so in the Christian life. It's a common struggle. Did you know that the Bible has 365 fear not commands? That's one for every day of the year, right? So surely it's something that our creator wants us to hear. Fear not, right? And before we get too much further, I think we need a working definition of fear of man. I think this will help us frame our time together. And then I'll give us a definition. I want to propose an important question or pose an important question to you. So first, let's look at a working definition here. Fear, as I've already mentioned, this word is a trembling, a fear that leads to anxiety, right? Fear is defined by Webster the dictionary, as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Okay, makes, makes sense. Of man, the second, of, second part of this phrase. In this instance, we're talking about humans, okay? Both male and female. This could include any age, any demographic, any position that a human might have in your life. A husband, a wife, a child, a coworker, a boss, a politician, an enemy, for our definition today, we're going to say that of man is any human, okay? So we're putting this together. Fear, an unpleasant, anxiety-ridden emotion caused by another human being. I think we can all agree that fear is unpleasant, right? I don't know anybody that wakes up in the morning and says, today I want to be afraid. Uh, maybe some of you weirdos who are into horror films and jumping out of airplanes and things like that. Uh, but for most of us, we wake up and we say, we don't want to be afraid, right? Um, and we would agree that we avoid situations and people and circumstances that might cause fear in our life. That's just kind of humanity, right? Now, this definition says that fear is often a strong emotion. It says often a strong emotion. So not always, but often. It causes something to happen deep within us. It's an emotion, right? Something's happening in our inner core, in our inner man, in the center where our emotions reside. What happens when people are afraid? Call out some things. What happens when somebody gets afraid? What do they, they scream. They yell. They might yell. Yeah, what else? Yeah, hide, run, right? Self-destruct, man. Right? So when people are afraid, there's an emotional response that causes people. They might scream or gasp or cover their eyes, maybe their hand on their chest, shortness of breath. There's a lot that goes on physiologically with fear. You see, first, our brains interpret the scenario we're facing. Maybe it's a sound. Maybe it's something we see. Maybe it's something that was said to us. And there's this small almond portion of our brain called the amygdala where they believe that most of our fears are processed. Uh, this is where the fight-or-flight response you may have heard of comes from, the amygdala. And this is a God-created response. When we face danger, fear kicks in, and it sets in motion a response to fight what's in front of us or to flee from it. This is often accompanied with a racing heart. Adrenaline's released into our body. gives us the ability to react, right? The human body, you guys, is incredibly and intricately designed by God. 
It's a mental and physical and spiritual design that all works together, and it's amazing. And so in one sense, fear is a very good thing created by God to keep us safe and to flee from danger. And I just want to say this to you. Some of you have gone through horrible things brought on by another human being. And I'm sorry. And I want you to hear this. God is not saying to you this morning that you are wrong to be afraid in that situation. He created us with a physical response for a reason, to be able to flee from danger. So please hear me say that. But I'll also say that if that situation from the past is still causing fear today, there might be a trap there that God wants to deliver you from. In our context today, fear, and specifically fear of man, and more specifically the fear of man's opinion, is what we're looking at as a deadly trap that we must fight or flee from. So here is that question that I want to pose for you. Maybe write it down or just snap a picture of it or whatever, because I want you to wrestle with this question outside of Sunday as well. Is fear of man keeping you from freedom in Christ? Is fear of man keeping you from freedom in Christ? We're going to look at a few stories this morning that deal with the fear of man. I'm actually going to share a personal story, and then we're going to look at a couple stories briefly in Scripture that show fear of man on display. And as we look at these stories, hear me say this. These stories are not to be meant to be prescriptive for your specific situation. Okay, you might hear my story and say, oh, well, that's what Chris dealt with, so that's how God delivered Chris. Or you might hear a story of Moses or of Abraham and go, that's how I'm going to get out of my fear. It's not meant to be prescriptive this morning. What I want you to hear and what I want you to focus on is the one who rescues you from the fear. Because he's going to do it differently for everyone. And it is, and, and hear me with this, he surely wants to deliver you from this deadly trap. So first, uh, a personal story. In October of 2016, I was coming up on the end of my first full year of ministry. Uh, In January of that year, I was able to quit my job as a painting contractor. Uh, I was also working as a DJ and recording music on the side just to bring in uh, money for the family. Um, I was able to lay all that down and devote my whole schedule to leading worship at Redemption Church and to helping make authentic disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the good of our world. And you guys, it was a dream come true. I can remember walking through this with my family and my wife and just going, yes, praise God, he's finally done it. Like he gave me what my heart desired, which was to be in ministry and specifically music ministry. That dream followed many years of hard work, many years of toil, many ups and downs, faithfulness and failures, and many, many prayers. And in 2016, I took on full-time ministry like I was going to finish it all in that year. And I knew, I knew in all the books I read, I knew in all the conversations I had had with my friends who were in ministry, that ministry was not like that. It's not a job you can finish. It's not a job that has deadlines and, and finish lines, clear finish lines. Only Jesus determines those. But man, I was determined to fix things and fix people all for Jesus. That was me. And I, I see my, my wife laughing. She knows it's true. 
She saw me going through this. And so I began. I worked hard. I scheduled meeting after meeting, drafting the best leadership guides for adult worship, for kids' worship, for student worship. We had a production team that had a a clear punch list of things to do, and our team was growing. We were going to have the very best and most authentic worship team, and I was tackling every problem that was coming my way with zeal and passion. I was excited. Our team that year was thriving. We had two full bands, a big rotation of musicians. Things seemed like they were up and to the right. It was all going great. And all the while we were doing this worship thing, I'm doing this full-time ministry thing, I started noticing some messes that were becoming a little harder to clean up. Ministry was messy. I couldn't get things cleaned up over one cup of coffee or one prayer request that was prayed over. People had illnesses that weren't going away. People had past trauma that needed counseling, hurts and hang-ups that were messy and weren't going to get fixed quickly. Ministry was messy. And I thought I could clean it up real quick in a year, right? So I began to toss all this work onto my back, all this work of the ministry. Yeah, I got that. I can help you. I can do that. That's what a good pastor does, right? Pastor who knows his sheep takes on all those burdens, right? And I was missing something huge. And it would take me the next three years to understand what it was. On a particular Sunday in late October of 2016, that same year, began just like any other service. We sang an opening song. We welcomed everyone. I was getting ready to call the church into uh, worship and singing together. And I grabbed my Bible from the stage opened up to the Psalms, and I passionately read from the Psalms. We're gearing up to sing together. I'm just feeling it, you know. I throw my Bible back down, and I come up to sing, and boom, 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 boom. I mean, my heart started pounding out of my chest like I had never felt before. That year, I had ran a marathon. I was training for another half marathon. What was happening in my heart was not right. I was short of breath. I couldn't even barely get one line out as I was singing. I remember looking over to Emery and just going, I don't know what to do. And she's leaning in and she's covering me. And I think I said something into the microphone to the congregation. I'm I'm just having some shortness of breath right now. I'm sorry, y'all. And then I saw some eyes get real big, like, oh my goodness, what's going on with the worship pastor? And you guys, it was everything I could do to finish up those two songs and quietly exit the stage and whisper to Pastor Jeff, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going on. My heart's racing out of my chest, and I, I'm not sure I'm going to be back. And he looks at me like, like what every lead pastor wants to hear his worship pastor say, right, as he's getting off the stage. He's like, I don't know if that meant, like, he's gone for good or if he's gone just for, like, the rest of the service. It was scary. I was met in the foyer of the school by some concerned nurses and a doctor who was in his residency. Praise God for them. And we tried to assess whether I, not, I needed to go to the ER or not. And after laying down for several minutes, my heartbeat just began to beat normally again. And I could calm down. And we decided to go home that day and just take it easy. Uh, but later on that day, out of the blue, it started again, just pounding. And I told Emery, I think I need to go to the ER. And we ended up there that night. And you guys, if I could explain to you what that day felt like, It was like I was naked and exposed in front of the masses. I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I felt like I couldn't do my job. 
Like the one thing I was supposed to do, I just couldn't do. And I had this, this moment in front of the church that I was supposed to lead. It was scary. I felt fear. And I wasn't sure what to do. This incident ushered in a long season of fear and frustration as I would come to understand what happened to me on that particular Sunday was the first of many panic attacks that I would endure over the next few years. I was trapped in the deadly snare of fear. But I wasn't ready to call it fear of man. It would take me many counseling sessions, lots of conversations and confessions with friends I could trust, lots of prayer and lots of meditation, and wrestling with God, crying out to him about what was going on. It would take doctor's appointments. It would take conversations about helpful medications. And all the while, I had no idea that really the root cause of my fear boiled down to a specific type of fear, the fear of man. I was trapped in the snare of the fear of man. I had misdirected fear. We mentioned Proverbs 1.9 all through this series. Fear of God, the fear of God, and not the anxious type, right? Reverence and awe type of fear is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 14, 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one might turn away from the snares of death. I had misdirected fear, and I was stuck in a trap. I'm going to read a few quotes about fear of man that I think are helpful. One man says this, Fear of man is the enemy of the fear of the Lord. The fear of man pushes us to perform for man's approval rather than according to God's directives. Oswald Chambers says it like this, The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And John Witherspoon, it's only fear of God that can deliver us from fear of man. So that was the answer for me that I was going to have to work out over a couple of years and in community. Another writer says this about the fear of man. The person or persons to whom we ascribe the most authority, that is to define who we are and what we're worth and what we should do and how we should do it, is the person or persons that we fear the most because it's the person whose approval we want the most. And God designed us this way because it reveals what our hearts love. And God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts. And so this fear comes right from the place where our heart's treasure is stored, right? The fear of losing or not obtaining something we really desire, or the fear of man, it can wield a ton of power over us. Because God created us to have a fear of God. But when we put man in that place, we have misdirected worship happening. And we obey the one that we fear, right? It goes both ways. Do we obey man or do we obey God? The fear of man is a deadly snare. And this was me. I was treasuring what others thought about me more than I was treasuring what God thought about me. 
Well, what's a snare? Let's talk about that for just a minute. When you picture that word, what's the first thing that you picture? I pictured a huge steel trap, you know, like the cartoon ones with like the big gnarly teeth and it's like, snap. That's what I pictured. Uh, and I, th- that is a type of a snare. That's, that's just a bear trap. Um, the more accurate depiction is one of these. I want to show this picture. So maybe a little bit hard to, to make out there. Uh, the more accurate depiction is an ancient trapid method. All right, this is used where the trapper has to do very little work. All he does is set this trap and wait. And so a loop of wire is suspended from a branch or a little, uh, a little piece of wire, and the snare catches an animal by the neck as it's walking along the trail. As the animal continues moving forward, the snare pulls tight, trapping the animal. And there's really no way for this animal to escape once it's in that snare. The more it struggles, the worse it gets as the snare tightens. And this is the imagery, you guys, that Proverbs is laying out for us. This is the kind of trap that we're talking about here, that the fear of man causes us to get stuck in. It catches us while we're on the path of life. We don't necessarily see it coming. We're just walking along, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're stuck in this snare, and we're not quite sure why. Let's look at some other places in Scripture where this deadly snare was at work in the life of others. And I'm just going to go through these really briefly. I really want to just point you to these so that you might study these in your own time and kind of wrestle with what's going on with the fear of man and the fear of God. The first story is of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 20. And you don't even have to turn there. You might just mark this down like, hey, I'm going to go back and read this. But Abraham was the father of our faith, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You guys remember that song? Uh, That's Father Abraham. And he was overcome with fear of man in a couple instances. Twice, he lied about his wife before very powerful people. The first time before Pharaoh in Egypt, and the second time in front of King Abimelech. Why did he lie? There's a famine going on in the land, and Abraham had this promise that he was going to father nations and father the multitudes, right? And there's a famine, like his family's hungry, and they're, they're at the risk of death if they can't eat. And so Abraham takes off and, and travels to go find some food, and he goes to Egypt, and he tells his wife, hey, you need to lie to these leaders and tell them you're my sister. And it's a kind of a weird cultural thing, but I think Sarah was most likely attractive, and, he, and Abraham was concerned that when they went to another city, uh, the men of that city would take her and, and kill Abraham because he was her husband. And so he said, just tell them you're my sister that they might spare me. So he does this in front of Pharaoh. He does this again in front of King Abimelech in another city. And I want to highlight what happens here in this story. So he lies to King Abimelech, tells, tells uh, Sarah, Sarah actually gets captured and Abraham is uh, safe, but his wife is, is now living in the palace. And an angel shows up to King Abimelech and says, hey, what you, what, what's going on right now? You have Abraham's wife. And Abimelech's like, whoa, say what? And so he gets Abraham back in his presence, and he said, what have you done to me? And, he, and Abraham's response is this in verse 11. I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place, and that they would kill me because of my wife. And one writer puts it this way, this was Abraham's excuse for his sinful deception. 
But the real problem was that the fear of God wasn't in Abraham. If he had really respected the Lord, his commands, his promises, and his protection, then Abraham would have never trusted his own efforts to keep his family safe and together in the first place. He was struggling with fear of man over fear of God. And we don't know, like, would God have provided a way for Abraham to eat without lying? I think it's very likely. But we didn't get to see that side of the story. We just got to see fear of man played out, right? Another story uh, later on, Moses and this rock in the desert. So Moses is leading the Israelites. And you can find this in Numbers 20 if you want to go back and study this later. Uh, Moses is leading the Israelites. And you guys know the story. They're grumbling. They're tired. They're wandering in the desert. They've come up against no food and no water multiple times. And, And God tells Moses to strike a rock, to provide water for these weary travelers. And so he does this once, a miracle bursts forth, water comes from this rock, the people are fed, crops uh, can grow again, they're excited. Well, a short time later, this comes up again. There's no water, and, he's, and Moses has this angry mob, this angry crowd saying it was way better back home. Why have we come so far just to be dying of thirst? Moses goes to the Lord again, with Aaron and says, what are we supposed to do? And God tells him to do the rock thing again, only it's a little bit different. He says, take your staff, go to the rock at Meribah, and tell the rock to pour forth water. And so Moses takes his staff, and they go out in front of the people. And I love this. He stands up on the rock, and can you picture this? It's like an angry mob of people just like really frustrated that they don't have food and water, right? And Moses raises his staff, and he says, uh, he says he says, to the people here, hang on, let me find my place. My bad. Uh, oh, I lost my place. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because he did not believe in me to uphold me in... Okay, where am I? Okay, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield it its water. And so Moses and Aaron do this, right? And Moses lifts up his hand, and he strikes the rock twice. And more water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank. And this is what the Lord said to Moses. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So you guys, what happened here? Moses struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. And I want to presume that this was a fear of man thing. Uh, We don't know this for sure, but we definitely know that Moses had some anger issues at times. He smashed things. He killed a man in his early days. And sometimes fear of man comes out in different ways. And I can't imagine, I'm putting myself in Moses' shoes. He's standing in front of these, these people who are rebelling against him. And God tells him to speak to the rock when last time he told him to strike the rock. And if I'm Moses, I'm just going, God, I don't think speaking to the rock's going to work. I think I need to hit the rock harder so these people see what's going on. And I'm presuming that what's going on in Moses' heart is a little bit of fear of man. And you guys, what happened with this fear of man? It caused Moses not to experience getting to lead the people into the promised land. A couple other short stories, and I won't go as detailed with these ones. But King Saul, 
the life of King Saul in First and Second Samuel. We studied this at length a couple years ago in, in the life of David. King Saul is a story about an anxiety-ridden, panic-induced, fearful man. God appointed him as king and gave him all kinds of instructions to follow, but his fear of the people he led caused him to sin over and over again. It was very likely that he experienced clinical anxiety and depression and panic attacks. The Bible describes these manic episodes that could only be eased by David's music. And then he later feared David so much that he hunted David relentlessly, trying to kill him. See, Paul was gripped by the fear of man and not the fear of God, who appointed him to be king. It was his deadly snare. One last story in the New Testament, Peter and Jesus. If you guys have read the story of Peter and Jesus, you know this one all too well. Peter, one of Jesus' more well-known disciples and ambitious disciples at that, right? He fell into fear of man when he denied his relationship with Jesus. Not once, but three times. When questioned by a crowd of people after Jesus was captured. And all this after Peter passionately proclaimed to Jesus that he would never deny him. Do you remember that? The fear of man, once again, was a trap. And it trapped Peter, even one of Jesus' closest friends. So what do we do with all this? We see this trap. We see it played out. I've shared some of my story. We see some of this uh, playing out in the Bible and the pages of Scripture. I think we need to look at what's really behind the fear of man. How did this trap get set in the first place? And I want to propose that pride and idolatry are actually the root causes of the fear of man. A misplaced fear is really misplaced worship. Idolatry, let's just talk about that for a minute. It's like a big church word, right? Idolatry is when we place the importance of anything or anyone above God. All right? We don't have a lot of idol worship in our context today in the sense that you might picture it in the old ancient times. But you guys, idolatry is placing anything, any person, any place, any concept over and above God's ways. That's idolatry, worshiping that over God. Pride, on the other hand, says our way is most important. Pride is a self-worship. And practicing pride is a form of idolatry as well. Fear of man is a form of idolatry. Putting what man thinks about me as more important than what God thinks about me. Pride and idolatry and fear of man says, what man can do to me is more relevant than what God has done for me. Let me say that again. Fear of man says that what man can do to me is more relevant than what God has done for me. And God's response to this, his gracious response to this, over and over and over in the pages of Scripture is a resounding, fear not, And do you know why? He's always had the answer to our fear of man. This started back in the garden, even when Adam and Eve decided that their way was more important than God's way, and they sinned, and they ushered in sin and death through their disobedience. God knew that the answer would be Jesus. 
that there was only one way out of this type of idolatry and self-worship and fear of man. There's one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. This is the only man that can set us free from guilt and shame and fear caused by this snare. You guys, Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Do you remember the rock that Moses struck? What came out? Water, right? Who else is called the rock? Besides Dwayne Johnson. Let's get that out of the way. Who else is called the rock? Jesus. Jesus is called the rock. And from him flows life. Abundant life. One more place that I'm going to read from. Back in Deuteronomy, uh, we find this call to worship God, this description of what the fear of God should look like for his followers. And in Deuteronomy 6 and in 10, we find what's called the Shema, which is a confession of faith found in the Ten Commandments and the law that was handed down from Moses. And I just want to read this for you and take this in. This is the word of God back in Deuteronomy that is still valid and active and living today. Deuteronomy 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and statutes which I'm commanding you today for your good. Verse 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, that is, set apart your heart, and don't be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So love the sojourner, therefore. For you were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You guys, we are a part of this promise. And these commands to fear the Lord are still very active and valid for us today. And I want to say this. It's the only way out of the deadly trap of the fear of man. It's the only safe place. God was telling his followers back in Deuteronomy, I have chosen you. And he says to his followers today, I have chosen you. Follow me. Search your heart. Set it apart. Love me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Jesus would later tell his followers, the first and greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is like it, to love people. 
Do not fear them. Love them. The only thing that will rescue us from fear of man is the promise of safety in Jesus and to follow his ways. Only Jesus provides safety in the presence of our enemies. That's the story of Abraham. Only Jesus is our rock, the story of Moses. Only Jesus and his coming kingdom is to be feared. No other king or man, that's the story of Saul. Only Jesus can restore us when we have denied him. It's the story of Peter. There's so much grace in Jesus. He is our living water and the fountain of life and the only one who can deliver us from the snare of the fear of man. So here's the question as we're wrapping up. Christian, are you fearing man right now above God? Does man have your ultimate obedience or does God's? Are you trapped in a snare? Do you feel stuck? Maybe you're a seeker this morning. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're still exploring the ways of Christ. Let me ask you, does fear of man drive your life and your decisions? And how's that working out? Is the snare closing in on you? Do you need deliverance? Let me get real practical here. I want to give you three steps you can take to trust in God's deliverance from the deadly trap of the fear of man. The first is this. Name the fear. Name it now. Specifically, who are you afraid of and why? You guys, you must deal with this now or it will surely deal with you. Number two, ask for help. There are many helps available to you. God has provided many, many graces for you. Cry out today, son of David, have mercy on me. Deliver me from my fear. He's given you his word, every page found in this book for your help. He's given you his church. You guys, I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for a handful of the people in this church who came around me when I was going through the trenches of these panic attacks. I had people I could call on the spot. I had people I could shoot a text to. I had a small group community who I was actually leading and just had to say, hey, look, I can't lead right now. i got to step aside. And they swept in. They led the group. I was able to just go and be. God met me with incredible grace through the church. He's also provided many helps in modern medicine and through skilled counselors. And I want to say to you today, a fear of man has led to anxiety and panic attacks. Ask for help. Talk to your doctor about it. Talk to us about it. Talk to your counselor about it. Ask for help. Number three, what else can you do practically if you're stuck in this snare? So we faced our fears. We're naming it. We're asking for help. And then we run to God and his strong tower of protection because it will never let you down. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run into it and be safe. There's safety in God. Well, how do you do that practically? That's, that seems kind of esoteric. Like I just run to God in his strong tower imaginatively in my head. Like what is it that I actually do? 
Will you spend more time in God's word than you do in man's word? You stop scrolling so much. You stop trying to, what is it that, guy, that man thinks about me? Oh, did my post get liked? How many likes does it have? Is somebody arguing with me online? Ooh, that's stirring me up. You spend more time in God's word than you do in man's word. And you stop placing such a high value on what others say about you, and you listen to what God has to say about you. He loves you, and he wants to deliver you from fear and anxiety of man. This is the refuge. This is the strong tower of God. Psalm 91 says this. This is a wonderful psalm to meditate on. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I'll say to my Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. Incredible truths about protection in God. Lastly, what's another way you can run to God in his presence just real practically? It's to pray. And I know that's like such the Christian answer to say, but do you really pray? Do you really carve out time to seek the Lord in prayer? Turning off the noise, maybe laying down on your back in a quiet room when everybody's gone to sleep or before everybody gets up and just taking 10 minutes to posture yourself before the God of all safety and saying, I'm running to you right now. And I need you to deliver me from fear. Fear God only. Everything else is a trap. You see, 2016 was the year that God allowed me to experience the paralyzing and deadly snare of the fear of man. And through a few years of facing these fears, of confession, of repentance, and learning to trust in what God has said all along, do not fear Look to me, trust me, love me, because I have everything you need. The snare actually did loosen. And I walked out. And you guys, I haven't had a panic attack like that in at least two years. And I praise him for it. I'm so grateful. It was a long road and a long process. I realized that I had a deep fear of letting people down, a fear of not performing well enough for my fellow ministers, a fear of illness. I had a fear of not having it all together. I feared losing control in my surroundings, in my relationships. I feared losing control of my emotions, of my body. I was consumed with people worship and not God worship. And I'm a pastor, y'all. So there's that, right? There's hope for you. It's a laundry list of scriptures here. I want you to write these down if you can, just because I think they're places that you can meditate on and memorize. Trust in the Lord leads to freedom and safety. John 8, 16 and Psalm 125, 1. If the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. Psalm 125, the one who trusts in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Strength and safety. Trust in the Lord leads to perfect peace. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, and Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Put these scriptures in your heart and meditate on them. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. 
In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. For what can flesh do to me? Lastly, trust in the Lord leads to eternal joy. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can't think of a more opposite end of fear of man than that verse. Joy and pleasure and guidance found in the only one who can give it to us. So fear of man, that's temporal power. Fear of God, that's eternal power. Fear of man, that's foolishness. Fear of God, that's wisdom. Fear of man, it leads to death. Fear of God, it leads to life. Fear of man is idol worship. And fear of God is God worship. Oh, 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 oh,